0: Hi there, it's great to be back. Welcome to the XA Network podcast. My name is Alap. I'm a member of the XA Network, and I'll be your host for today. The XA Network, formerly Zugler Angels, was founded in 2018 as an investment collective comprising senior execs from leading global and regional technology companies. Our mission is to provide smart capital to early stage companies across Southeast Asia and eventually Asia Pacific. For more details on the group, please check out www.exanetwork.com. In the last 20 months, the network has invested in 18 companies across Southeast Asia. Today we bring you a fascinating discussion with the founder of one of the very first companies XA invested in. I'm delighted to welcome Will Henschel, CEO and co-founder of Pencil to the podcast today. Pencil works on creative AI and brings the scale of algorithms to the creative process by generating advertisements that are predicted to work. It is the first generative creative platform for performance advertising teams in brands and agencies. Its investors include WaveMaker, SG Innovate, Sequoia Surge and the XA Network. Here's our discussion. Will, it's great to have you join us. Thank you so much for the time uh, on a Sunday, how are you doing?
1: I'm awesome. Thanks, Alat. Thanks for having me. It's uh, really exciting to speak to you again.
0: Excellent. So, well, I think you know something that all of us really want to hear about is your journey um, to this point, being the CEO of Pencil. Could you just walk us uh, down memory lane and kind of uh, tell us how you got to this point?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess every founder's story is different. Um, I, I grew up in a in a in a household in, in Barbados with two parents that were both entrepreneurs. My my dad set up a law firm. my, my mom. Was a fashion designer, actually ended up starting a, a private school. Um, so I always saw the kind of the chaos and the energy of, of starting companies and running companies and building companies growing up. So it, it, it was really just a matter of time for me. I've, I've always wanted to do it. Um, m- more recently, um, I spent eight years in, in advertising. Um, um, but interestingly, I, I actually studied engineering. So I was an engineer in advertising for eight years. And uh, I think I think that, that gave me some grounding in the industry that I ended up starting a company in, um, but it also created a lot of friction right I, I, I wasn't a creative i wasn't a you know a business person I, I was an engineer in that world, and I think it made the problems that I saw feel more acute and intense um, and after eight years, I felt like okay there were definitely some problems to be solved um, that I could leap off and, and, and try and tackle
0: got it and you know well, I think one thing we see is that you know the best founders really are the ones that have you know been involved with a problem for a long period of time Uh, given you spend eight years in advertising, you know Your parents have that kind of entrepreneurial background. Uh, Do you buy into that or uh, you know Is there something else uh, that you think you know kind of contributes to to being a good founder for a particular problem?
1: Yeah, I think I think seeing the problem and and having experienced the problem directly is super important Um, uh, For for, for us or, or for me personally Um, I started in advertising in 2011, just when, you know, social media was starting to get, become monetized. Um, and the, the, the kind of confluence of technology on the social media side, you know, Facebook, um, Twitter and others and creativity on the advertising side, because I was at a creative agency, like confluence is one word, clash is another. Um, you know, I saw firsthand creative teams struggle with, uh, you know, working with uh, like social platforms for the first time, right? They had to, they had to develop uh, creative content in certain formats. It had to uh, engage people in a very limited window of time. Um, they had all of this targeting now that, that, that social media platforms allowed, that, um, uh, that you know, meant that they needed to create more volume of content. So the, it was very obvious to me as kind of as an engineer in that world that there was, there was a, a sea change, something was changing in the industry. Um, and the the people in the industry were, were struggling with it, right and, and I, I was in advertising for eight years, and that that problem was always there. It was underpinned, right and people you know uh, they developed new perspectives and, and there was trick people trained themselves up and, and, and new technology emerged to address these problems. but the, the problem never really went away um, I, so I think that in addition to experiencing the problem yourself as a founder, I think there's there's also real empathy needed with the people who uh, are, um, are, are the closest to the problem. So I, I, was, I was part of teams that, that saw these issues, but I, I wasn't you know the copywriter or the designer who was the one that, 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 that faced the problem. Um, and I think it's important to not just see that a problem is there and feel it, but you know, to, to be the one that feels it you know, most acutely. Um, and and um, not being that one has meant that I'm close to the problem, but maybe not close enough. Uh, and that's something that we spend a lot of time uh, trying to get closer to the user, closer to the customer, and closer to the problem over the last few years in, in the startup. And so, you know, walk me through what that
0: moment was like when you said, all right, you know, instead of being on one side of the problem, I'm going to go to the other side, and I'm going to try and solve this by being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, kind of walk me through that journey with respect to, you know, meeting your uh, your team, your co-founders. What What brought it all together that made you say, all right, I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to do this full time?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it happens very fast and very slow. Um, you know, quitting your job to set up a company from scratch is, I don't think, something that anyone does like you. Um, for me, I think it was a period of about a year prior to quitting my job that I kind of decided that I was going to do this. And, um, you know, I hired a replacement. I told my bosses at the time that this was what I wanted to do. Um, and I started, you know, Inviting people off of LinkedIn that looked like a technical co-founder to my kind of business co-founder, um, uh, to, you know, I, I asked them to meet me on a Saturday morning for coffee and let's start let's talk about you know creating a company, and um, it was hard, right? It, you know, someone was like, "Who you know, who are you? What what, what you, you know, this is a bit half baked. You want me to quit my job to like try something out?" And right. <laughs> um, it's was, it was super hard, right? It's like I, I even you know I, I approached random people that I thought had the skill set. I spoke to friends of mine. Um, That I knew were kind of interested in the space. Hey, we should all quit our jobs do this and everyone was like, "Ah, you know, uh, you know, there's nothing here yet You know, I I don't what am I joining? Um, so that that was super challenging Uh, and it it wasn't I think until that I came across entrepreneur first um, which which I have nothing but good things to say about actually that the whole thing started to become less of like a pipe dream and more of like I can make this happen practically because you know, as, as, a, as a foreigner living in Singapore, you know, I needed to have, uh, you know, my immigration status I needed to have a visa. Um, I felt like I had enough savings that kind of tied me over and potentially fund the company. So that was okay. But entrepreneur first helped with that. But crucially, they also helped find, uh, you know, 100 other people um, who joined the cohort, uh, half of whom were technical people who wanted to start a company now. And um, that that was the tipping point. As soon as I found them and I saw that, I saw that it solved my problem with like immigration status in Singapore because I could get an Entrepass. And I saw that I, I had an amazing shot at finding someone incredible to work with who really wanted to start a company now and had already quit their job to start a company um, and had already committed. So that, that was the tipping point for me. Well, that's,
0: you know, thank you for sharing. I think uh, it's that sort of openness and vulnerability that really, you know, separates um, you know, the, the, the great founders from the rest i'd i'd love to I'd love to kind of go back so now that you and your you know co-founder have gotten together, uh, how are you looking at the pain points for your customers? how have they reacted to the to you know the offering that you've built? We'd love to get a bit of
1: overview on how pencil's doing so far yeah, so so pencil is a creative AI company. Um, we uh, believe that AI is going to be as fundamental to creativity in the future as the pencil was in the past so we think that some of the new machine learning techniques are going to be transformational in generating content and generating advertising. And we have a platform that that does two things. First, it generates content, both text and, and visual content. And then, it, second, it tries to predict whether what it's generated is any good. Um, and good meaning, you know, has some kind of creative value uh, or meaning, uh, has some kind of brand relevance, and you know, is likely to work in an advertising context, meaning it'll get people to click or it'll persuade people to buy. Um, so customers have responded really well to that, right? It's a magical proposition. And I think we, we were building on top of, you know, a, a big groundswell in machine learning technology, uh, over the last few years, that's just been incredible, right? And, and you know, Google talks about AI or machine learning being the new electricity. It's going to touch every industry. So we're really just riding that wave and applying it to, uh, creativity, um, and because I think a lot of people think that creativity maybe is the last thing to be touched by machine learning and automation, we've we, you know we have that element of surprise when we talk to customers, right? We're like, we speak to marketers or advertisers, and we say, hey, you know, all these problems you have generating enough content to be targeted enough to A/B test, uh, to refresh your content uh, often, all of which drives ROI. We can we have we have a machine that can help with that, that can do that, and they're, there. The, the, the novelty and the surprise and the amazement level is, is really high, which is incredible. Um, it means we can get a foot in the door. It means we can have really interesting discussions with customers, um, uh, which, which is amazing, right? And um, we, we had a lot of really early traction um, because um, the proposition was magical. Um, and, 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 and that was fantastic. Um, and we've continued to have momentum because of that. Um, the, the, what you have to be careful with when when, when you have that kind of early momentum, is that you um, don't fall in love with the novelty, right? Because if you're going to grow a giant company, um, you need to get used to doing the same things over and over again. And yes, there are moments of invention where you know you, you apply something to a niche kind of domain for the first time. And that that's like a really, like, as an engineer, that's an incredible moment. But very quickly, you need to transition away from invention to um, impact and growth, and you need to uh, build a product that can deliver that magic, deliver that invention for any customer as they log on uh, and as more and more customers log on uh, and as the company grows. So I think we've spent the last year, really, um, uh, moving from a a period of invention where we're applying the technology and testing and building something that works to really applying it to real problems in the field uh, and making sure that it can scale and work, you know, no matter all, how many customers start using it, no matter what they throw at it as an input, it can generate outputs that are, that are awesome. Um, and I think that that, that transition period um, from, from kind of technical achievement to real-life uh, achievement with all of the corner cases covered and real impact and applicability for a large uh, and broad range of clients is, is where, we're, where we're at now.
0: Understood. Can
1: I ask... You know, that you, you did mention that, you know, all the rhetoric has been
0: around that, you know, creativity is that is that last thing. It's, it's never going to be touched. Human endeavor is in is in great shape. Um, do you find, Will, that you've got copywriters and art directors kind of hitting you up and saying, hey, what are you doing? Why are you going to you're going to take away my job? Do, do you find that or is it more like um, do you augment that? Like how, how, how have you kind of thought about it and positioned it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we try to take our cues from our from our users, right? We're we're trying to make our customers and our users the hero of our story, right? Not the technology, and that, that speaks to the journey that I just mentioned. Um, I think every creative that I've spoken to about this, almost everyone, um, have been in two minds about it, right? They, in one, they're like, "Oh shit," you know, th- this 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 is a bit scary, right? Um, I write. Uh, Short-form lines of copy for a living as part of what I do and this thing does it as well And I imagine it can do it faster than I can um, Certainly cheaper than I can or would want to um, that, that that's make us a bit scary um, but also almost every one of them is super excited right because uh, For every copywriter who crafts, you know a just do it, you know for Nike or and I'm loving it from McDonald's or you know a last thing um, uh, piece of, 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 of advertising um you know they've spent 99 percent of their time, you know, uh, slaving, to, you know, to experiment with hundreds or thousands um, of options to only throw them all away. You know, or or that they're asked by their clients to write email subject lines and banner ads. You know, dozens and hundreds at a time, and they spend and they spend a lot of time doing that. And it's painful, right? It's painful. Um, so I, th- I think there's always this this conflict, right? When when we speak to uh, creatives about you know, a little bit of nervousness, but also a little bit of excitement because um, these are ideas, people, and, and there's much like anyone who has a job, right? There are parts of that job that you love, and that's why you do it, and there's parts of that job that really you could do without, and you would rather do a little less of that um, and a little more of the fun stuff. Uh, and I think that applying automation is really about making sure that you really understand um, what what people want to be doing more of and what they want to be doing less of, and the trick, I think, is that the stuff that you want to be doing less of—the drudgery, the mundane—sometimes um, doing that, especially as a junior creative, someone who's getting started, is necessary, right? To really hone your craft and skill. So it's not a matter of kind of um, you know killing it off altogether, because the people that you may, may hurt are the are the junior folks. So I think there are, there are subtleties to applying technology in an automated way um, that. Have to be tackled right and we want to go into this with our eyes open um such that we're building um a platform that fundamentally helps companies be more productive and effective in their advertising but also helps users adopt technology in a sustainable way uh for for their own livelihoods and it's something that we've thought about from the beginning
0: so will um you know it really looks like this is a problem or a pain point that you can then end up solving at a global level, right? Uh, there are copywriters, there are you know art designers, art directors, advertising, et cetera, is global. Why build this out of Singapore
1: and Southeast Asia first? Yeah, I mean, th- that's a question that, uh, that investors ask us a lot, you know, why, why do it here? And, and is it, is it, it's a trick question, I think, because when you're a founder and you're quitting your job uh, to set up a company, you're not thinking, well, I didn't think. Let me fly to Silicon Valley and just set up from scratch there. Do it there, um, you know, because that's where you know massive companies have historically been built. I, that that wasn't my thought process. Um, I wasn't like, let me go to the best place in the world to set this company up. Um, and, and and I think that's sometimes strange for people to hear as a response, uh, because you know you want to give yourself the best shot. But when you're building something from scratch, you really want to take every advantage that you have available to you at that point in time, because you have a limited window to build to start showing traction right when you're building a company and it's like it's a month at a time it's three months at a time um and if i had just up and gone to california i wouldn't know anyone there i don't have any relationships there i don't know how the ecosystem works i don't know who the competitors are um so having spent five years in in asia um it was it, 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 i knew enough and i knew enough people and i knew enough about how the system worked um to to, to feel comfortable I, actually I hadn't even spent five years at that point I had spent uh, just under three um, but I, I it was where I was at the time is the short answer it was where I was at the time I felt comfortable that I could that I could get the funding I needed there that I could build the team I needed there that I knew you know the first 50 people that I would call about pilots um, uh, to test the technology uh, and if I had just up and moved somewhere else I um, you know I, I may not have had those advantages and uh, I would have been at a disadvantage against people who did have those advantages over there. So it, it was, it was really just a straight up, this is where I am. This is the point in my life where I, you know, I, I, I can do this. Um, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This
0: is a super honest answer. I love it. Uh so well, as you've, you know, taken the company up until this point, what surprised you the most?
1: Um, this, yeah, I think the biggest surprise were the unknown unknowns. Um, and I think that's like an obvious answer, but it wasn't obvious to me. And I think I'd spent eight years in an industry and I thought, you know, I really understand these problems. I've, I've, I've seen people, I've struggled with them. I've struggled with them myself. Um, I think I know how to solve this. And when you, when you start doing it, I think you you come up with solutions to the problems that you see. um, but you don't know necessarily the second or third order effects yet um, of the interface between your solution and the problem. The problem is there, right? It's a big beast. It's been there for a long time, and you're applying a new solution. Um, and you can do everything in your power to, to make sure there is fit, right, between product and market early on, um, especially when you're trying to come up with a real novel approach, right? Like we're, what we're doing, there really isn't precedence, right? We're, we're not cloning a business model that exists elsewhere and um, lifting it, and, you know, and bring, bringing it to Asia or, or anything like that. We're, we're, we're applying pretty new technology that has only existed for a short period of time to a problem um, that has already got, you know, has been around for a long time and has already got all the kinds of issues. Um, so I think the biggest su- the surprise for me was how much I didn't know. Um, and, as, and as humble and naive um, as, as you want to try to be, and as a founder, how paranoid you want to be about the unknown unknowns, I think... You really just don't know them until until you get far along in solving the problem for you know the second and third order uh, problems to expose themselves to you. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a really really important advice and um, to give to others. And obviously, I can only advise from the stage that I'm at. But but never lose that humility. Um, n- never feel like you fully understand you know everything that needs to be done because very likely that you don't and. the the real fun starts happening when you have stepped outside the things that you know and you've got to start solving problems that are popping up on the fly Um, and you've got to start stitching those together into um, a strategic solution because if you just start tactical problem solving as things come up, you you could find yourself um, off course. So I think it's really important to have a strong vision and a a, a strong enough understanding of the problem at the beginning that you can chart a a long-term path but getting from a to B along that path is a zigzag, right? And I think you want to make sure that as you're, you're kind of solving second and third order problems as you go along, you are keeping the end in, the, the end in sight uh, and, and the vision life. Um That And how hard that is to do, I think, was the, was the biggest surprise uh, for me.
0: Got it. That's such a great kind of lesson to all the founders out there. And so I'd like to kind of just use that as a jumping off point. Um, you know, we were, you know, very privileged and lucky enough to invest in pencil in 2018, 2019. Um, well, when you look back at that time, you know, apart from what you just mentioned on strategy and tactics, you know, what advice would you give to other founders at that stage trying to raise? You of course have raised again post that, but what would you give founders back at that pre-A, maybe almost seed and angel stage? What's the what's the one or two like golden nuggets?
1: I think the, the things that mattered most to us the two things that mattered most to us first was the foundation of the company, right? So this was like, um, this is things like who are the co-founders, right? And what is the relationship Um, and how aligned and excited are you about the problem that you're setting off to solve together. So make sure that the foundation of the company um, or the team, you know, before the company may even exist is, you know, it feels right. Uh, I think I, I really believe that, things start good and start easy continue to be good and easy and things that start shaky continue to be shaky um and it's very hard to change the kind of starting dynamic so i i think you know i i mentioned that i I was meeting people off of linkedin for you know a year before i started the company um it never felt right and i didn't have the confidence to jump right and as soon as it did feel right suddenly the confidence was there it was a no-brainer so i think Give yourself the time to create, to find a co-founder, to find a problem that even if you don't have the full solution to, you won't have the full solution to it. You feel good about it, right? You feel like I can, I can dedicate 10 years of my life more, rest of my life potentially to solving this. I think this is big enough and exciting enough that that I, I love this problem and I can convince other people to love it too, whether they're investors or, or, or folks that want to join the team to come, to come and work on it with me. I think you really need that, that fundamental. Um, So that's, that's the first thing that I think um, uh, is, is important. Um, The the second thing I think is important in those very early days is, is traction. Um, Constant testing of your hypotheses in the real world. And in entrepreneur first, we were lucky in that we were, we put ourselves into this kind of like, the, the analogy I use is like a river, right? This is the reason that you know, people have different views on accelerators and stuff, but Entrepreneur First was amazing because it felt like we were jumping into a river and the river was taking us in a direction. And um, even though we were making mistakes and, you know, we were testing things, it was flowing, right? We, we, were, we were surrounded by other people who were building companies. We were constantly speaking to people who expected us to to succeed. Um, and it, it was a really um, helpful experience. Um, you know, the alternative would have been, you know, maybe sitting in a Starbucks or sitting at home trying to start a company from scratch in that first month. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, just doesn't feel, it's very easy to feel static. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I, my worst fear was that I would quit my job and then say, tell everyone I'm going to start a company and then what? Stay at home on my laptop and then go to Starbucks on my laptop and like, like how, how do you go from there to actually setting a company up, right? It feels like a huge gulf. And I think that Entrepreneur First really helped us feel like we were flowing in a river. But the point around traction, I think, is um, to you know, practically put yourself, do, do stuff, right? So in that first kind of month when someone and I first met, entrepreneur first, we were already, he was writing scripts to kind of demonstrate how we could generate advertising copy. Um, we, were, I mean, we were going and meeting clients and saying, hey, we can generate some advertising copy for you in the first kind of two weeks, right? We were saying, you know, tell us about your product, tell us about your audience, tell us about your campaign. We're going to run it through our script. We're going to generate some stuff and we want you to try it. And we were speaking to to big brands at the time, right? We were speaking to some of the insurance brands. We were speaking to the global fast food chains. We were speaking to automotive um, brands. We were speaking to big cosmetics brands and and we were able to get a foot in the room. They were were willing to meet us. We were showing them what we had built in the last week. Um, And we were giving them confidence that what we were doing was the future of what they needed. And and that traction and, you know, it wasn't always easy, right? Because you don't... You know, you, you can't build something amazing in a week and have it work, right? But but having the confidence to, to, to go out there and show people what you've done and get the feedback, sometimes hard feedback, um, and, and iterate it was so important. I think a lot of teams maybe don't put themselves out there early enough. And there's a lot of temptation to build a perfect product and then release it to the world. And, you I know, mean, I, I, that sounds wonderful to me. I'd love to do that. But I don't think that we would be at where we are today if we hadn't really put ourselves out there early um, and test this thing uh, and demonstrate traction uh, by iterating it. Uh, so I think I think those two things, a strong foundation and confidence to, to get traction you know, in the first two weeks, uh, it would be the two things I'd say. Um,
0: that was amazing. Will. I think I, I took three big things away from that. Right. I think the, the first is that it's really gut instincts. You have to trust these things in those very, very early stages. I think the second one that I really picked up was how do you get through paralysis, right? Like you have to hit traction, but how do you get through that kind of feeling of I'm not doing enough? And you know, the story around entrepreneur first is just so great for, you know, everyone to hear. And then uh, the last piece that I really loved was, you know, even if it's scripts and prototypes, how do you start small to get to that iterative cycle? So you can kind of take it, get the feedback and then build something of, of real value. And so my next question for you will is, you know, talk to me about the level up because there was a big level up that then got you, you know, um, into the, you know, line of sight of Sequoia capital and their surge program. So what was, you know, if that first part was zero to one, what was that next level up and how do you look at that phase differently from when you started back when, you know, XA invested?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, I think the, I mean, we're still a pre a company, right? So, so we're not, um, we're, we're not kind of scaling, um, uh, yeah we're, we're still pre-a so I, I would say that the the level up after the zero to one is is you, you start to get into that 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 routine of re- repeatability um and showing that something is repeatable and that which is the precursor to showing that something can can grow exponentially right i think if zero to one as a deep technology company is showing that the technology works um meaning we can for us it was we can generate content that that a Big advertiser, you know, a Unilever or a Sephora, who are our early clients, is willing to actually use in real campaigns, and that actually delivered results for them on, on the metrics that they cared about. That that was kind of completion of zero to one, right? Um, the, the the stage after that was about putting that into a, a a product, an early product, and showing that we could get users into that product and they could do it themselves, right? And that they, they could. Um, they could they could log in. They could put in some inputs. They could get some outputs. They could use them, and they could get the results that they're looking for. And th- as co-founders, someone, could, someone is a like a hardcore engineering guy. I'm a business guy, right? So the product piece was was challenging for us, right? Because that that wasn't our natural space. And um, moving because we're both engineers as well, moving from the kind of zero to one, which felt very technical and and um, and you know almost academic, to Putting this into practice and building a, a product that has repeatability and the potential for scale that, that was that was hard for us right and, and that, that's something that we are, you know are still figuring out um, so I think that the, the, the level up is when we figured out enough of that to, to start to show um, signs of being able to do this repeatably or have a product that does this repeatably um, uh, and therefore you know, what, what gets uh, folks like Sequoia excited is the potential for this to be a, a, you know, a a global winner, right? That this is not only does this technology work, but when put into a product, this has the potential to be a product that is in every single creative team on earth, right? This has the potential to be a product that is used by every copywriter and every designer Like you, you don't, you will not be creating ads, um, you know, in, in five years time or 10 years time anywhere in the world that don't use technology like this, right? That, that's what, that's what those those guys are looking for. Um, so, uh, so the, that I would say the repeatability um, and, and productization was was the level up, um, and 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 obviously um, evidenced by uh, bigger big brands and more and many big brands starting to come on board.
0: That's superb. Thanks, Will. So I wanted to ask you also about you. And um, so this is a little bit of a put you on the spot kind of question. What's one superpower you have as an entrepreneur and what's your biggest area of improvement?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I have a superpower. I think, um, I think uh, I, 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 the, the answer I usually give to questions like this are that I have, an, I have an, a unique perspective or I have an interesting perspective, right? I studied systems engineering for four years. I, did, I, I studied in Cambridge. And that I was surrounded by a lot of technical folks right and, I, and I, I graduated as a systems engineer, and then I went into creative services into an ad agency, literally my first job out of out of, out of uh, my master 's degree so I think that the perspective I had on the problems um, was different you know to someone who went to ad school as a copywriter and then went into an ad agency right they they struggled with the problems too, um, but they maybe didn 't see it the way that I saw it as an engineer so um, I think that that perspective it, it, i guess you could call it a superpower I, I i saw the problems differently maybe to to how other folks saw them for better or worse um so i think i think that's helped me a lot uh the, the other thing i think that's helped me is well you know it's a trade-off is is focus so i could you know and, and my girlfriend will tell you i can only do one thing at a time um and it it, it has to, i have total focus on that thing um and th- this is good because you know you can be very productive uh and um, you know, to the exclusion of distractions and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's bad because sometimes you can get a bit myopic. You can ignore things that matter. You know, you're, you, know you have to be very careful with your relationships and your health. Um, but I, I think that I, 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 I pride myself on, on on being able to focus uh, and, and really driving um, to, to a goal. But I, I don't know if you could call that a superpower. Gotcha.
0: Thanks, Well And, you know, you have this... F- you know, it's almost more than full-time kind of career running your company. I think one thing that a lot of uh, founders are really keen to hear about is how do you learn, like apart from the job? Like, what do you read? Who do you listen to? What do you watch? Like, how do you think about, you know, all of that? Because um, you just mentioned that, look, it's really important to kind of keep some of these things in mind um, just for your own personal growth and, you know, uh, taking care of relationships and so on. So how do you learn outside of the job?
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll be honest. Right, I, I I used to be a reader. Right, I used I used to read a lot. Um, I I don't I don't read as much as I'd like. Um, I I think the main way that I learn now uh, is through conversations with people. And one of the things that I've come to believe more and more over time is that um, when you when you're looking for advice, you you don't want a lot of advice because if you ask ten people, you're you you're, you're going to get at least three different perspectives. You might get 10 different perspectives. So, you know, when you're looking for help to solve problems, um, I I really think that it is about um, asking the right person um, who has the perspective that you think you need um, and and, and trying to structure the conversation in a way to deliver the insight you need to change your own mindset. So I really think that, you know, you could grapple with a problem that feels intractable, you know, that feels uh, impossible for months, you know, um, and you can then have a five-minute conversation with someone who gives you perspective on that problem you didn't have before. And even if operationally that problem isn't solved in that instant, psychologically, you're unblocked, right? You, you've, got, you've now got a perspective that enables you to go away and operationally solve that problem. So I, I would say that, I, that the way that I learn is that I try to seek out people that I think can give me those five minutes of fresh perspective that I can then take to change my mindset and go away and solve big problems. Um, so that, and that, and that's a function of um, the type and the diversity of the people that I speak to um, and how, we, how I structure those conversations to get to that five minutes. So I can speak to someone for three hours, but maybe I take away one thing they say that I can act on. Um, so th- that, that's my main kind of like learning vector uh, at the moment.
0: That's so interesting. I think uh, Naval Ravikant has this great saying around, you know, all advice eventually cancels to zero, and I think that's exactly what you just articulated, Will. What what kind, what type of model do you use to say, all right, you know, I I need to find an expert in, say, said category, and then how do you go find them? That would be really interesting to, um, uh, to to hear from you on.
1: Yeah, I I um I, I usually ask people that I that I already know and trust, and who I know understand my context, so. I'll often email Matt Clifford, who, who's one of the founders of uh, Entrepreneur First, uh, or Tony Zamakowski, who's you know, one of the angels at XA, um, or Michael Grisales, who's, 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 who's one of our, our board members. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll say, hey, you know, I, you know, I did this recently. I was like, I wrote, I wrote Matt. I said, Matt, um, you know, in, in Singapore, um, I've spoken to lots of other founders. I've spoken to founders who've succeeded us, spoken to founders who've failed, um, I've spoken to founders who are at Series A and Series B, but I haven't spoken to many founders or any that have built a billion-dollar company, right? I, I the, the, and, and I think that maybe, maybe if you lived in San Francisco, you it might be more frequent because there there are there, there are lots of big companies over there. Um, and I said I I, I want to speak to someone who has taken this thing all the way to the end, right? And I I and um, I want to hear what. Their journey was like when they were at the stage that I'm at now, I, and I and I want to see if there's any differences in their behaviors or their their, their management styles or the way they executed their vision. Or, or I, I, I want to make sure that I'm working backwards from where we want to get to, and I'm and I'm not just speaking to folks who are close to where I am now, but who have been through where I am and taken it. I can look back. Um. Uh. So so I I and, I and and he was great. He came back to me with three names, and I spoke to two, and it was it was fantastic. Um, so I, I, that's how I do it.
0: Brilliant. Okay, Well. so uh, thank you so much for all of that great advice. Um, we're now going to move to the, you know, the ending part, the fun part, which is a rapid fire. I'm just going to throw some questions at you. Uh, you know, two rules, just first thing that kind of comes to your mind. And second is, uh, you know, let's keep it uh, super short. So I want to start with this one. Uh, you know, we are deeply uh, you know, invested in Southeast Asia, but I want to ask you,
1: why do you think Southeast Asia is so exciting as a region? Momentum. You know, I, I, can, I can have five, six, seven meetings in a day in Singapore. People will, I can reach out to people that I don't know and say, hey, I'm doing this and they'll meet me maybe that day, maybe the next day. Um, there's a real sense of momentum here um, and people want you to succeed. Uh, it's an awesome feeling.
0: Absolutely. That sense of vibrancy, that sense of dynamism is really, I mean, it is a very, very unique place. All right. Next one. Um, Will, if you could invest in one startup today,
1: any startup anywhere in the world right now,
0: which would it be and why?
1: Oh, there's so many. There's so many amazing companies. Um, One that I saw recently that really just like captured my imagination was a company called Zipline. and uh, they, they do drone delivery using fixed-wing drones. Uh, and they've got a pilot going in Rwanda. They're another Sequoia portfolio company, actually. Um, I just had no idea that drone delivery was was as far advanced and that they, they've solved so many of the operational and commercial problems. Uh, and they were running countrywide, national-scale drone delivery uh, uh, programs already. It's just incredible. Like, the, the technical and operational achievement there is, is, is amazing. I, I would invest in that tomorrow.
0: Phenomenal. That sounds incredible. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. So, you know, something that we, uh, you know, as investors talk about a lot is, you know, what do we place first in terms of, you know, the various attributes we look at when we when we come with a, across founding teams? So idea, execution, team, and market. I want you to stack rank them.
1: Team first, uh, market second, execution third, idea fourth. Uh, and that's tough because I think, I think, Team is everything. Um, execution is is almost everything. But if you're in a tough market, sometimes you, you know you're, you're just in a losing environment. So I think picking your timing on market is really important, um, especially in the early days of the company. So yeah, I, I stick to that order. Fantastic. Thanks.
0: So, you know, Will, you mentioned earlier that unique perspective, that ability to kind of combine those two schools of thought systems, engineering and working in advertising. So, you know, sometimes, you know, being part of the startup world is all about contrarian thinking. So tell me one thing you believe that
1: few others agree with you on. The machines can be creative. Uh, I I think uh, creativity is a function of many things, Um, but fundamentally it's a solution search problem. Um, and I think that machines are gonna end up being weirder than people. Um, and I think that in some domains, we're gonna come to really appreciate the creativity of machines in the future. Amazing. All right, so,
0: Will, next I just wanted to ask you, You know, for all the amazing entrepreneurs that have come before you,
1: tell me tell me one that you admire the most. Yeah, I mean, this is gonna be a, a common one, Elon Musk, right? Like, he's, he's the guy, he's the dude, uh, he, he's, he's an Uber geek, um, he's just got a, a, a literally a larger than life vision, um, and he's dogged about it. And he's not perfect, right? He's not perfect at all. Um, but the man can just execute, and and it, it's it's an inspiration. Um, and, and I think that when you see him speak, versus when you when you see what he's achieved, and, and it's not just him. He's got he's, he's able to build teams that achieve what he achieves. His his, his legacy and his impact is just is just so evident. Um, uh, it, it, it's a real inspiration.
0: Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think the, that that point about dogged execution, right? The point around, you know, the, the shapers are those who take an idea from actualization, from like ideation to actualization. And yeah, I just, I mean, he just launched a rocket with, you know, a couple of people going to the space station. And again and again, you know, there's just no stopping him. So totally, totally get it. Um, so speaking of which, you know, What's the best piece of advice you've received during the, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic period, just because, you know, you, we've got these founders who've kind of been there, done that before in, 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 crisis past, have you received anything of that sort? And would there be anything you'd want to share with, uh, you know, the folks tuning in?
1: Yeah. The, I think the best piece of advice I've got, um, it was from, was from listening to Doug Leone from Sequoia. Um, he, he said that there are two types of founders. Uh, there are, uh, clever founders and they are founders with clarity Uh, and he will back the founders with clarity every time. Um, And I think as two founders who are engineers who pride themselves on cleverness um, but have seen that just being clever is not enough um, over the last two years, uh, we have really taken that, that spoke to our soul, right? Our our kind of, our soul. So um, we, we strive every day to be Clear in what we're trying to achieve, clear in how we communicate it, and clear in how we execute it, and uh, we, we've taken a, like a, a humble pill in that you know cleverness is is, is not everything. Um, clarity is much more important.
0: And that advice in, in in and of itself is so so clear and simple. Um, all right, last two questions. Well, uh, the single biggest mistake you see angel investors make in in this market uh, with, with this sort of climate.
1: Yeah, I think I th- I think the biggest mistake angels make. Um, hmm, that's 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 an interesting question. I think I think maybe they ex not asking the right questions given the stage that companies are at. When when you're an angel and you're investing in a company, you know, in its first month of existence, right? Its first three months of existence, six months of existence, you know, it, it, if you if you're asking the wrong questions, you may not be getting down into the heart of that of that company. Um, and if you're asking questions that relate, you know, um, too far into the into the future, you might you might struggle um, to, to understand whether that company is a winner. Um, I, I think you want to focus on like eventual questions, like like end state questions and Very short-term questions, but if you're asking questions as an angel, which are in the mid, the middle, um, you, you're you're probably going to miss the point. If I'm awesome,
0: makes sense. right, right, totally. And you know, yeah, we see we see that a lot. We get a lot of feedback from founders as well, which is, you know, the misapplication of different stages. Right? Let's not ask VC-related questions to uh, companies in the angel stage. Totally, get an excellent, excellent piece of advice. Um, well, all right, last question. Best thing an angel can do when investing in you or investing in a founder?
1: Uh, introductions. Um, I think I think. In, angels are unique because um, you can build trust. Uh, and I think the relationship with angels always feels a little bit different to the relationship with institutional investors. Um, you know, on, on both relationships can be, can be great, can be very strong, but angels always feel, um, uh, because they're involved earlier, because they're individuals, uh, there, there is potential. there for trust to develop quicker, um, and 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 the introductions that they make to be more selfless, right? Um, you know, there's no strings attached. Uh, there's no uh, concerns about um, perception. It's just like you know, hey, you need to meet so and so. And I think the best institutional investors are also very good at this, by the way. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, the, the kind of trust and the introductions you can get, um, and also the the level of openness you you, you can have with angels is. Um, it it is, is amazing. I think when someone is invested, you know, ten million dollars into your company versus when they've invested a hundred k, it creates a different dynamic. Um, and, and I think, I think people, uh, companies are very lucky when they have good angels uh, early on. Yeah, and there's
0: such a good point around there about leaning into your strengths. Right, you are an individual; you're not a institution. And you know, like leaning into that can be really differentiating. Um, Will, this has been so good, mate. Thank you so much for doing this and spending time with us. Um, It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and we wish you all the success going forward. Uh, Thanks again.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Hal. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: Wow. I want to thank Will for spending time with us for what was a conversation filled with insights, whether you're investors or founders. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do hit us up on LinkedIn, on Twitter at NetworkXA, and finally at www.xanetwork.co. Till next time, thank you so much and stay safe.